Welcome into the Solar Insights Podcast. My name is Eric Sauer. We've got Matt Moore of CBS, also known as HP HP Basketball there. we got Hardwood Proxim. Um, I kind of say he's the moderator of NBA Twitter. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing great, man. Excited to be on with you. How are you doing? This will be, be fun. we got a lot of interesting topics to discuss in the NBA as we're kind of getting back into it. Everybody kind of took a little bit of time off, although a couple of those writers with the Kyrie news and everything didn't ever get some time off. But uh, those of us who don't necessarily have to be in it every day kind of got a little bit of a break. Now we're ready to kind of ramp back up again. One question to start off was, uh, where do you see the league health-wise? Like people say, some people say, oh, it's the worst it's ever been. And we're, where were those glory days? Others say it's so exciting. Where do you stand and what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? It's hard to say that the league is better off than it was when Jordan was around. Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of ways to look at it, right? There's the strength of the game. There's the strength of the business side of it. Um, there's the strength of the competition. So there's all these kind of ways to look at it. I think I'll say this. The league's obviously never made more money. Like it's doing better financially than it ever has been. It has more reach. The game has expanded more. Um, David Stern started it, and now Adam Silver is continuing the vein of expanding the game into overseas. Like it's grow. It's our, It's huge in China already. It has been for about a decade. But now it's growing in India. Uh, it's growing in the Middle East. It's growing in South America, um, where it, it was for a long time. And there's kind of a dip after Oscar, and now it's growing again. There's all these ways in which the NBA is growing and growing and getting bigger. I think the level of star power across the board is as strong, if not stronger, than it has been since – you know, 95, 96, somewhere in there, because, because you look at um, all of the kind of things like, you know, I mean, I was I was thinking because I, I was at this Nike event on Friday and they're showing all these clips of like the past. And I was remembering like, man, David Robinson, because they had a big thing on David Robinson, actually. And I was like, God, that really was like an incredible era when you had, you know, Robinson and Elijah Wan. Uh, and Barkley, and then that's like on top of like you know Jordan and all those guys and Pippen and and so there were all those stars. But I look at today and I'm just like there are so many freaking Hall of Famers playing right now. There is just an absurd number of Hall of Famers in the league right now. Just future Hall of Famers that are going to be there. I, I think that there's really an opportunity for um the league to grow even more. But on the same level. You know, the Warriors, I think, kind of reduce its relevance a little bit because it doesn't feel like there's much competition. It just feels like there's a lot of stars, but no really great teams. There are no really great teams at the moment outside of Golden State. There's only one really great team. The Spurs have a really great system and organization, and they're awesome. But as far as being actual superpower, like, God, these guys are great at basketball, we only have one team right now. And so that, I think, is kind of a problem, at least in the short term. But overall, I mean, the league of that, the health of the league is incredibly strong. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And I think that they've really upped the bar for what a great team is because, I mean, I think a Chris Paul Harden at this time or a Russell Westbrook Paul George pairing uh, several years ago, five years ago, would be a good contender, right? in and of itself, but it still feels like there's an inevitability with the Warriors and previously the Cavs, and we'll see what happens with them. But yeah, it was interesting to see, because people say some people come up to me, they're like, oh, the league's horrible, the, are the, the numbers are down. I'm like, I don't think so. I think the numbers are up, actually. Um, and so you kind of, your people say, oh, it's horrible, but I'm like, there's so many stars playing. In terms of Hall of Famers, do you think there's like 20 playing, or what, I mean, gauge it. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, 
Um, you can find superstars. You can find whatever. But like Hall of yeah. Famers, I mean, Kobe just retired two years ago. Um, LeBron, obviously. Curry, Durant. Pretty much every Gold State Warrior is probably going to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, uh, Dirk, at least. Yeah. Dirk, Wade, um, Carmelo. Dirk, Wade, Melo, Manu. Um, and then you have guys coming up. Like all these guys, all of these guys coming up. I mean, Chris Paul is going to be in the Hall. James Harden's going to be in the Hall. Russell Westbrook's going to be in the Hall. All of these guys are, are going into the Hall of Fame. So you have all of this talent. And I just think that um, we – what we keep looking at is is how do you get them together to form the right teams? I'm not sure that's the way to go about it. I think it's about adapting the kind of things that the Golden State has done both on a structural level and on a team-oriented basis to improve how they play. We saw last year when Washington finally got out from the yoke of Randy Whitman and started playing with a more wide-open, better-spaced, more free-flowing style under Scott Brooks. We saw them take off, and they returned to what they should be. That team should be a 50-win squad, and they were real close to it, and they probably will get there this season. Um, so so when you when you look at it, you know, those are the kind of things that need to change. Is, is, it's taking the talent and making the most out of it, and that, I think, is a gap that we're seeing um, the absence of. I think in the 90s it was easier to take talent and make it adapt to the game because so much of it was individually balanced. Like it was, it was one-on-one moves and post-ups, and that's not bad. I, that's what I grew up on, and I love that, but that style of play. But you know, now I, you have to have more of a team-oriented concept, and that's going to take, I think, some time to adapt. I think the market inefficiency now is organizational stability. Like in the in the before, it was like talent. You get the right people, and then kind of with the LeBron to Miami thing, the in the and in a, what was that, 2010, I think. Um, it was the, okay, superstars come together. Now it's like, can you get the right people to take the less money and can you have organizational stability to make that happen and to get the most out of your squad in general? Because like with the cap and with people and these outrageous contracts that seem outrageous to people that don't know what they're talking about in the NBA, it's like, it's not just talent and putting it together. It's can you create a system that will be successful? Yeah, and and part of that gets to sacrifice. It's you got to have guys that understand that they can succeed and be profitable and and be in control of their own careers and not have to be, um, not have to have the ball all the time, not have to have the best opportunity for them that they can understand that you know winning is 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 going to open a lot of doors for you. That if you're a superstar, you're going to get recognized and. We haven't seen, I think, enough guys take those opportunities to really sacrifice, and that's submarine to a lot of teams. And meanwhile, the Warriors have guys that just sacrifice and just play into their roles. You know, Clay Thompson should be chomping at the bit to get out of there, and instead, he's he's fine. Like he's he's happy to be there. He's he's happy in his role. He's making the most of it, and that I think unlocks a lot. And and what you I think you saw with the Cavs was. Everyone kind of blamed Kevin Love. I think Kevin Love has adapted his game more than anybody. I think we saw the Kyrie. I think we saw Kyrie Irving not adapt his game, and that was one of the reasons that they were honestly held back. Like he hit the biggest shot in that team's history, the biggest shot, and won them that title, and he deserves that credit. But they were always limited in what they were capable of, and they, that was such a monster upset in part because he never adapted his game in that way. I th- yeah, it's weird because I just listened to the, uh, Jared Dudley with uh, Woj today, um, and he was talking about this kind of thing. Like, 
you were just talking about legacy. Like we're talking about legacy with these people. How do you sell sacrifice? It's legacy because before in the '90s and, and in the early 2000s, it was you get the stats, you get the rings, you get the legacy, you get that Hall of Fame status. And now it seems like there. Obviously, that's some of that's still there, but there's still a lot of I was the right guy for the right team and the right role. There's a lot of that there, so you got to sell that in these with these intermediate players around your stars to make a successful team. Yeah, I think um, yeah, the legacy thing is interesting in terms of the that's why the Lakers continue to hang around these free agency conversations, but they've got to build back up the kind of their structural integrity and have somebody there who's worth building, like who's worthy of that legacy. Because right now they have they don't have anybody that's worthy of that legacy. I know that people think Lonzo will be that, but he's not that yet. Um, you know, and with the Spurs, they had the transition from 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 Duncan to Kawhi to where they can make that kind of switch over. And now it's like Kawhi is kind of the caretaker of that legacy of success that they've had. And I think that that really helps them uh, in trying to keep momentum up going forward. And now it's going to be interesting to see is because the Spurs really are kind of like they're not the same squad and – they're low on, honestly, superstar, like, they're low on surrounding star talent. They don't have a lot of weapons. And so from that perspective, I think that there's a real, uh, there's a lot of things for them to kind of improve. But they continue to be great in part because of that organizational structure that you talked about. Yeah, and I think the funny thing about um, that, you said the Spurs uh, passing the torch to Kawhi, which has made it why it's so funny that they and others were on Kyrie's uh, list of player, places to go, because he was never going to be the man there. He's still not even the man when he got traded to the Celtics, because I think Hayward's a better player. Well, maybe not necessarily a better score in one aspect of ISO. Hayward's a better player. Do you, do you agree? Um, I do. I do agree. Uh, I, think, I think Hayward's a more complete player, and so... You know, he's. I think he's got the advantage in that respect. Um, I think Kyrie's got to learn a lot about running a team, at running an offense, about not just sacrificing, but understanding the ways in which you got to. You have to be better at, at running a squad, and those are the things that that take a lot of time to develop. I mean, he seriously, he really had to. I mean, when before when the ball was in Miami, he was. I mean, he could do every one because it was a horrible team, and you didn't have to like fit into a role or impact the game. You just had to play because no one expected anything. Then when LeBron gets there, you kind of just, he kind of tells you what to do, and you just try to do it to your best of your ability. Then he goes to here with Hayward and Horford and everybody else, and you, you're like, so he has to run it. He has to try to find out ways to impact the game. He's going to have to do what Curry did in terms of become a less of a defensive liability, work on that stuff. Although I think, I mean, there are so many circumstances there with Steph and his work ethic and the way he's, his, he works at it that I don't know if Kyrie can get there, but he really has some work to cut out for him to make an impact on the game and, like you said, run a team. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there's just a lot, a lot for him to to get through, and and the idea is that Stevens will bring that out of him, and I'm not sure that that's the case. I just don't know that Stevens is going to be the guy. Like I don't know anybody can do that. I'm just not sure that anybody can can get a guy that to invest himself in the way that he's going to need to. And a lot of this is like Kyrie has very specific viewpoints on who he is and what he should be, and until he learns to adapt those things and changes. I think that there's going to be uh, a lot of struggles, and that'll be interesting to watch. Is this is the first time that Stevens is going to be is going to have a superstar talent that may not necessarily you know agree 
with him that may that may be difficult to work with, and that's going to be something that he's going to have to handle. So, I mean, Kyrie needs a Phil Jackson from ten years ago, like to do do the job there. I don't think Brad Stevens is that, but Brad Stevens is so good at the X and O's, as we all know, and the out of bounds plays and whatever. And with all, with his underdog team that he's had the last several years, it I mean, even though he's a superstar, I guess you might say, or a star, it's still underdog kind of mentality, and then. That's what he can use to do that. But this, this, uh, we have three good, really good players. I wonder what Brad Stevens is going to do about that. Let's uh, pivot here, not pivot to video, but pivot to the Houston. What do you think of the Chris Paul James Harden dynamic? Um, someone had mentioned, uh, maybe Sam Bassini was mentioning that, uh, thinks that, uh, the fact, it's not that, Chris Paul will teach Harden defense, but that they'll he'll take some of the offensive load so that they can both focus on it more. What do you think about them in general and what their whole team that they got building there? Yeah, I wrote a big thing this summer on their dynamic. I talked to Mike D'Antoni and mm-hmm. he, oh, yeah. he I was I was skeptical <laughs> to, to start with the how that's gonna work and I, I kinda came around. And one of the reasons I came around was I said, Well, why aren't you worried about this? You know, why are you worried about the fact that Chris is a perfectionist and Harden is very much not. Harden's non-confrontational. That's for sure. And that was the problem with him and Dwight. Is like he's non-confrontational and Dwight was non-confrontational. So neither buddy, nobody confronted anybody and they lacked leadership. That's not going to be a problem with Chris, but you have the opposite problem now where you got somebody who's super confrontational and someone who's not confrontational at all. So that dynamic is going to be tough. However, what Dan Tony said, I was like, well, aren't you worried? Because like everywhere, I, I basically told him, I was like, everywhere you've gone, you've faced problems with guys that haven't wanted to adapt to the system. Like, Chris is a perfectionist, and he wants to do things one way. How do you feel comfortable that this is going to be different? And his response was, well, because those guys want to play together. Mm, yeah. And I, I, and I thought that was really interesting. He said, I found when guys, when superstars want to play together, they're more willing to adapt what they do. That That's the difference. That's what we found with Team USA. Is yeah. that, and it made me really think about it because it makes sense where if you're a – if you're a superstar and a guy says, I need you to do something different, but you're surrounded by a bunch of guys that aren't better than you, oh, you're like, why am I changing? Like, why, why am I why, why am I changing my role? Like, I've had success. You know, you haven't won a championship. We're, you know, like, let's – no way. Uh, we're going to do it my way. I know what I'm doing. But if you got another superstar there and you're both like, we really want to play together and it's, okay, well, we this is what we do here. It's like, okay. Well, I can get on board because I really I know I can win with this guy, and it shows you kind of the the weird gap between uh, superstars and role players. But that really is how they think, and I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, defensively, they're going to be interesting. There's there's question marks, but I think there's also the real capacity for him to be good, uh, for them to be good on that end because of PJ Tucker and Lucas Arden Mute you know, and Ariza still Tucker. good. Yeah, so they they've got you know with with Paul Mute, Tucker. And Ariza, if you play those guys at one, uh, three, and four in some combination, you're going to have three defenders that are qual that are plus on the floor at all at all times. Um, they're going to have a lot more defensive upside there, and Capella's good too. So you play them with Capella, you're really talking about you can play you can realistically play four good defenders around James Harden, which has not been the case since his Thunder days, uh, and even then he was he was better. So. Sorry, you were saying about uh, I mean that they haven't got a championship and Harden has it, Chris Paul has it, and D'Antoni hasn't, and it's gonna be interesting to see if they can get there. I mean, obviously it would pretty much take a Warriors injury, but uh uh they got they got something brewing there for sure. 
Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff for them to figure out. Um, still, I still think it's going to be interesting to see what their dynamic is, but I definitely think it – I mean, they're one of the most interesting teams of the season, I, I think, for sure. Definitely. Um, going to Chris Paul's old team, I'm of the belief that, uh, one, I've been always a DeAndre Jordan is overrated person, but also I don't think the Clips are making the playoffs. What do you think? Wow. This I don't know. Like, so, I... like, re- this was so reasonable and kind of gentle, and now all of a sudden you're just like, boom, hot take. Here we go. Um, <laughs> That's what I do. One, DeAndre's not underrated of anything or, or overrated of anything. He's underrated. Really? Uh, he's, yeah, he's exceptional. Uh, because part of it is that he's learned in the last two years how to leverage his threat without having to use it all the time. And that's the biggest problem with shot blockers is that they tend, like, uh, Rudy Gobert doesn't do this as much. JaVale McGee does this a lot. Oh, um, I see. I see. Uh, Nurkic is a great example of this, where guys are big and they want to show you how big and mean they are, and they want to show you how they can block those shots, and they would just constantly chase after those blo- those those shot blocks. But what DeAndre learned, what DeAndre learned was that DeAndre learned that he could show and then recover back and keep on his man to prevent that lob. And he's figured out so much of the rhythms of offenses that he's able to recover in those kind of ways. And for a guy, you know. Who, who was told in Dallas, like, you could be, you could have a bigger, bigger role, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and then still resign with LA. I think it, part of him realizes, like, he knows what he is. And for him to stay in this league, that's what he's going to have to be is like high efficiency, just finishes dunks, pick and roll. That's going to go down a little bit, but he's still got good guards for him to work with. Like, he's going to get a lot of lobs from Blake. He's going to get a lot of lobs from Patrick Beverly. Like, he's still going to have opportunities. Danilo Gallinari and Blake Griffin are both injury risks, and that's a huge concern for them. Yeah. Like, injury derails his team more than likely. For sure. And then you, I mean, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about what they're gonna look like. I like. I just don't know how to factor that they were such an efficient offense. People forget that they had the best starting offense two years running. Even than the 2015 with the Warriors, their starting unit was better offensively. That's how freaking good this team was. They just had like, no bench at all. <laughs> Yeah, they just had zero bench, and now they've got bench, but they lost Chris Paul and J.J. Redick. So I have to see, is Blake ready to be in that role? Can Gallo stay healthy and contribute? Are they going to mesh? All of these things have to kind of come together for them, but they have the pieces there with veteran guys to get it done. A lot of this depends on what you think about Doc Rivers, and if you don't have faith in Doc Rivers at this point, which is understandable, then yeah, I can understand thinking they're going to miss the playoffs because the West is just that tough. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean with the people, it's coming people coming up, the Timberwolves, others – my somewhat not faith in Doc Rivers and then losing three shooters and Paul Reddick and Crawford, like I just don't see it. But then again, I'm, I think they'll be like the last team that will make it. Like there's, they're not going to be horrible. They got two all-stars, although like, like I said, I think he's a little overrated, maybe not an all-star, but he's, he's a very good player. I never th- didn't think that, but, uh, for DeAndre Jordan, but that's my thought on that. Um, what do you think about Wade? When is he going to get his buyout from Chicago? Where does he go? Is it automatically Cleveland or Miami? What do you think? I mean, this is hypoth- This is all like subjective. Or, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's perspective. I don't. I don't have anything sort of like. I don't have any sort of inside info on it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just. I would say, the understanding I've always I've heard around the league is that it'll be. I heard it was like, well, it'll definitely be done by trade deadline. I was like, is it going to take that long? Because I kind of don't think it will. Like, I just think at some point, I, I do. I think Wade will probably come in for meetings starting this week. They'll, you know, the guys will get into town and start working out. Wade will probably go to the front office, specifically the new guy they just brought in, Doug Collins, and say like, "I, I need out. Like, you get like I've been in this league a long time. I need you guys to do right by me." And they're gonna say like, 
sure, just give back some of the $24 million that you're owed. And he'll go, well, no, that's my money that I earned, that I wanted, but I need you to pay me out and go. So the question is just going to become, like, if Wade bends on that, if he says, like, all right, I'll take 16, they'll probably do it. They'll probably buy him out for 16. I have a hard time believing that Reinsendorf will take the will just eat the full twenty four. That yeah. is not that guy's mo. That's not, not how he runs. Like this, what people forget is like Reinsdorf. Like Reinsdorf literally hardballed Michael Jordan. Like if you go back and read <laughs> and read the books from that time, from by David Halberstam and and Halberstam and 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 uh, Smith, like. He he hardballed Michael Jordan. I was like, well, I don't know about this. He hardballed Phil Jackson and Scottie Pippen. Like, Scottie Pippen was in a contract dispute to start the 97 season. Like, it's absolutely insane that this happened. But it's true. Like, all of this stuff went on um, because the man and, – and you say, like, well, that was 20 years ago. Okay, they hardballed Tom Thibodeau after he had the best season uh, the Bulls had had since Jordan – and had produced an MVP season in Derrick Rose. They then hardballed him on the extension. Then they hardballed it with Derrick Rose, even though they were always going to have to pay him the max. Like They have played hardball at every single turn because they could squeeze money out. So the idea of them just being like, yeah, we're going to pay David Dwayne Wade just to go away, I don't – I have a hard time seeing that. But if he comes off of it a little bit, especially like if he says, like, look, I'll take $10 if he just says, okay, fine, then, yeah, he's gone. Um I tend to lean towards Cleveland. I just um, I'll, I'll well, I'll tell you this. It depends on on where Melo goes. Okay. Yeah. So if he goes if, to Houston, if, it, well, if he goes actually, I think if he goes to Houston, Dwayne doesn't go there. Oh, you think it needs to be a super banana boat? <laughs> yeah, because I don't think I'm not sure the Rockets would be comfortable with Chris and Melo and Wade. Oh like, no, I'm, yeah, I mean. If uh, if in Cleveland, like if if it's if it's Mello and Wade in in Cleveland, or they probably can't do that with the tax. I don't know. No, no, but like, um, yeah, if Mello gets bought out and then go, yeah, if Mello gets bought out, I can see them both going to Cleveland. I could see that happening. Um, I could also see a situation in which the Clippers, because you remember the Clippers were involved in those trade talks last year. I can envision a scenario where the Clippers get involved in the Mello deal, especially if this drags out and the Knicks are dumb enough to let it drag out. Like it should be done this week. Like Melo should be should be done now. We are like four days from their camp opening, and they are still doing this nonsense. But like this needs to be Chris Apps' team, like as of yesterday. Yeah, like a year ago. Like at least. But if they if they don't drag it out, and then all those contracts that they acquired in the Paul deal become dealable, um, then I could see the Knicks and the the Clippers working out something. And if Melo's in L.A. and Blake's in L.A. And then Wade's free. I could see him being like, "Yeah, I'm going to spend my year in LA." That's I could bad. see him. I could see him doing that. I don't see him going to the Lakers. Um, I don't see him going to anywhere else. Like the the deal with the Lakers is like, okay, yeah, it's it's LA and it's a, a historic franchise, but Wade's real competitive. Like Wade is competitive in a way that Carmelo is not. Wade has. Wade has always prided himself on winning. That's what that guy is about. Like he and there's a reason that like he and Chris are buddies and he and LeBron are buddies. Like they pride themselves on winning. And so I have a hard time seeing seeing Wade just be like, yeah, I'm gonna go waste away on a non on a lottery team for the year just so I can be in nice weather. Like if he's gonna do that, he's going to Miami. Like that's he'll just go back home. 
Um, so for me, I kind of think the most likely scenario is actually Miami and then Cleveland and then the Clippers. Yeah, I think that the Miami uh, relationship is salvageable as, um, I mean, if, if, if LeBron back to, to Cleveland is salvageable, then really anything is salvageable. But I think in this case, even though they didn't pay him when he should have been, they should have paid him, uh, I guess he can probably go back. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, he can, he can go back. I mean, that, that situation is definitely salvageable. What do you think about the Westbrook and Paul George mesh? I'm a big fan of Paul George in terms of just how he plays and stuff. But do you think they'll mesh? Yeah, I'm working on a, on a feature about it that will probably come out just before the season starts. About um, It's going to take a little away from what Westbrook does naturally, but it's also going to open up just like a lot of opportunities. The biggest thing is that George is so good coming off screens. Like, he is exceptional coming off of screens. And so he's in a real position now to make the most out of that skill in a way that he wasn't before. Um, so I, I do kind of think that he'll, it, that those two will, will play well together. Um, I could see them having some problems because, like, George is going to have to get used to the idea that he's not taking the last shot. That's not happening. Like, I mean, this is the same thing that KD always struggled with. And, and look, I think that KD did a lot, was like contributed to the problems as well. But it does take getting used to playing with somebody who's so high usage. And honestly, this is going to be interesting for Westbrook, right? Like, he, you know, he played the way that he did, and Durant left. And then he had the year where he averaged a triple double and had, you know, one of the best individual offensive seasons in NBA history. But it's done now. Like, he's got that on his resume. Is he willing to be like, if I can make this work with George, he and I can, can really, you know, because part of what people don't get, and I said this last year, I said, you need to appreciate what OKC has done because they still managed to not only make the playoffs, but to make it as a sixth seed in a tough Western Conference and to be competitive that entire season. With They were left completely flabbergasted by Katie's decision. They're one and they had to string, <laughs> Yeah, they had to string together. Uh, a roster. I mean, they had a lot of guys, but they still had to like put things together. And so that was the thing is, is that Pressy hadn't didn't have time to execute anything. He didn't have time to, to pull off deals and, and revamp the team in the way that he wanted to, except in minor ways. Well, now he obviously has in terms of adding Paul George, but people still fail to see this. They're like, well, what you know? Could could you really win a title with Westbrook and Paul George? And it's like that's not what that's not how Sam Pressy's thinking. Sam Pressy's thinking like, let's have a good year with with Westbrook and and, and Paul George. And then let's see who else we can get. And that's something that's definitely on the table is those guys, you know, they, they've got stable ownership. They've got stable management. They've got stable coaching, regardless of what Kevin Durant's ghost accounts may say about him. Like they've got all of these things that are in place that are really good. They've got Steven Adams, who's going to be a good defensive center for the next seven years. Like the next seven years, you don't have to worry about your center in terms of rebounding and defense. You got it. So, and you've got this elite, this, this elite guard. And if you're able to make it work and he doesn't leave in free agency for the Lakers, you've got Paul George. If you put those two guys together with Steven Adams, you're going to be an attractive place for stars to go, even in Oklahoma City. And that's going to really set them up. So the, the thing to remember with OKC is that Sam Presti is not, he's not playing short term. He plays the long game. That's how that guy thinks. And he did it well and he did it effectively. And it wasn't his fault that Durant left. It just wasn't. And 
at the end of it, like he still has a really good team and he's going to continue to, to have good teams. Now, if the George and Westbrook dynamic blows up because of their personalities and both those guys leave, then yeah, they're, they're, they're in trouble. And Steve actually, is the best player. <laughs> well, but I'll tell you this though, if that happens, if you tell me I can have any GM to, to try and rebuild, I want Sam Presti. Yep. That's the guy I want doing it because he's yep. done it before. For sure. Um, I think that uh, Paul George and KD are very similar players. Obviously, Katie's a little better in a couple areas. Maybe, I don't know, I don't see any area where Paul George is definitely better. But is this like the same level of team as when they had Katie and Westbrook before Katie leaves? Or is this like a different, it's a different kind of animal in and of itself? Sorry, say that again. Is, a, is it a different kind of animal? Is it, is it Or is it basically you can pop George inside the same position that KD was in, and it's the same kind of team. Uh, they're going to reinvent it a little bit. Part of it is that, um, and this is something really frustrating, um, everything KD said last year about, I just didn't know basketball. Like, wow, like I just learned how to cut and all that. Like, OKC people will, will never go on record, but they're screaming, like, you could have done that here. <laughs> like, do you think do you think Billy Donovan's like, go stand in the corner? No. Like, that was his decision. One yeah. of the biggest problems with Kevin Durant in, in Oklahoma City was that he always wanted to isolate, and he wanted the high-elbow post-touch. He loved and that he place. Never was able to, and he was never able to establish position because he is a wiry dude. He is so gangly that it's hard for him to physically establish position. And so teams would just overload and go over the top of him and disrupt that, and it would take seconds off the clock, just seconds, seconds seconds of him trying to establish position and guys being like, I can't throw this pass or it's going to get intercepted. Please get your <laughs> hand up. And then finally they would get it. And Katie would make it a lot of the time because Katie's awesome. But at the same time, like that was a real problem that they had with their offense. So now you've got Paul George who has shown like a much more willingness and ability uh, to do things the right way in terms of uh, coming off screens and his versatility and being a guy that you can work in the, he can work in the pick and roll. Those two can run pick and roll together there's just all these ways that 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 they're going to work much better because part of it is if you're coming off screens and you're just like I just got got to make sure that KD can get or that Westbrook can give me the ball and we're going to score like he'll do that like like Westbrook will get you the ball with an opportunity to get an assist and that can make it work if it if it if they're able to mesh in in terms of if if George goes into it and is like I'm tired of being um I'm tired of just being a complimentary player. I'm tired of being an off-screen player. I want to be a superstar. If that's Paul George's attitude, then yeah, they're going to have trouble. Like they're going to have problems because that's going to limit what he's capable of doing. If he embraces what he's always done, if he's the same dude that he's always been, they're going to be great. And he's stronger than than Durant for sure. Even though Durant may be a better shooter, maybe. Do you think he, do you think Durant's a better defender? Or do you think it's equal? Durant's a better defender. Uh, Durant is. I mean, Paul George is incredible. They're both really good. But, They're both underrated. Well, not underrated now, but like when you see all all NBA defenders, like I think they're both underrated in that sense. Yeah, I would say they're, they're underrated. Yeah. Um, well, we I don't know how we've gone so far without talking about the Suns because this is a Suns podcast, kind of. But I like talking about the NBA because I covered that for a while too. Which side of you? Which side are you on on the Devin Booker seventy point game? Uh, I'll be honest with you, I. I felt it was kind of a joke. Um, yeah. I, I was I, I was not a fan. So I'm not usually on those that side of things. Like I'm not a crotchety old dude that <laughs> that is like respect the game. 
respect the the name. Um, but I am a guy that I am a guy that that believes that you have to instill the right kind of culture. And I don't mean to over use this team as an example because they're hard to replicate for a lot of reasons, but they still should be the standard. And if you ask yourself, would the Spurs do this? And the answer is no, no, the Spurs would never do this. Then you should probably reconsider what you're doing. Like the, the Spurs and part of that, you know, that goes for good teams too. Like I think Daryl Morey is one of the smartest GMs in the game. I do. I love the way that he approaches the game. I love his, I love the, the way that he's embracing analytics, but how he also understands the value of stars. I love all, like, I think Morey is excellent, but Morey caves for his guys openly on Twitter and in the media for MVP. He goes back for him and there are benefits to that. But I also look at it and go Popovich only did that last year with Kawhi because it was so important because he was having that kind of a season. Like for Popovich, it's you better be having like what I really think is worth it for me to do that. But he will do it. Um, but with the, the Suns and Booker, I would I didn't mind him just like chucking. Like it's fine. Like you're a lottery team. You're not going anywhere. He's a young kid. Sure. But the fouling and draw like drawing the game out to try and score more, that's where I start to be like, that's where I start to be like, okay, I don't I'm not taking this too seriously. It's just that this is a bad look. You you just look kind of foolish because no one's actually gonna be like, Oh my gosh, you accomplished so much, you scored seventy. Like your team doesn't gain anything from that. Yeah, I think, and I think realistically the, uh, Sorry. Keep like going. Booker and like Booker doesn't really gain anything from that. That's the problem is if Booker wants to be and part of it's like the way that we've analyzed guys is differently too. Um, and maybe that's unfair, but it, that's how it is. Because <clears throat> like in 2004, we would be raving and going like, "Is Booker gonna be the next great player? Could Booker win MVP?" I'm serious. Like Booker would be talked about in MVP conversations in 2004. But now we look at it and go, efficiency matters. How you impact your teammates matters. How you play off the ball matters, and your defense matters. Like all these things are are important. And so, if you're not doing those kind of things, and you're just chucking shots, it, that's neat, but it's not really all that notable. And I think Booker has got to take a big step forward this season. He's got to avoid falling into the trap of all the. I, I don't want to see him become just a really like a way, 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 way better version of Nick Young. He's capable of being so much more. And I don't want to see that happening. And like Chuckers, like, well, I mean, look, and you and you want to say like, well, no, that's not going to happen. Like, he's a much better player. I'm not denying denying he's a much better player, but part of it is it's a mindset thing. Oh, that, I, that, I agree with you. I'm just like I would just yeah. fall into it. Like I'm right. Like Ch- Chuckers have a have a certain mindset, and that that was true with J.R. Smith, and it's true with Nick Young, and it's true with Jordan Crawford. Like all these guys have the same kind of mindset. Um, Jamal Crawford is is a, the example of the kind of guy that understood how to balance that, that knew what his role was and what he needed to do and how he could get buckets, but also understood like my role is in the, is, is to do this in a team function. And there are times when I don't need to do this. Like I don't, I'm not here to just get points. If, if we're in a competitive environment, like I need to play my role and in doing that, you become a much more, more valuable player. Um, I think he's got good veteran leadership there with, with Jared Dudley and Tyson Chandler. I think that I hope that they make a um, I hope that they they make a deal with Eric Bledsoe and get some return on it. But um, I think 
I, I don't think that their their culture is totally corrupt. I have a lot of concerns about the team from an organizational, a structural, and a coaching standpoint, and I want to see those answered. Um, what what could answer it? Answered. What could answer that? Consistency, um, valuing the right things, some structure. So I went back and I watched like. I realized that I was low. I kind of hadn't like I it, when you go through the playoffs, you forget things, and I was like, I just have not watched the Suns in a while, and I've forgotten some of because like, you start to tail off when the teams are in the lottery, and I was like, well, I'm going to go back and watch some of these games late in the season, especially because I want to see Alvin Williams and see what like get a, a good feel for him. And so I went back and watched about four games, and what I was stunned by was like they had so little structure to their offense. Oh yeah, for sure. Without like, the guys, they those are all non Bledsoe games, right? I understand that, but there was a larger problem. Like you need somebody that's going to be on the floor to organize things and make sure that things are running, and and I get that, and I'm sympathetic to that. I'm also of the opinion that your structure needs to present itself in some meaningful fashion even when you don't have a general on the floor, and that did not happen. Like, they just it, – it really was just like a bunch of hamsters wandering around. And that's, oh, for sure. I saw that. that for was, sure. I mean, I agree. I saw that totally. And I think that, I mean, people – like, the Booker and Bledsoe, like, I think they're underrated sometimes. They, they're sometimes they're overrated. I see people go crazy. I'm just like – Pump the brakes a little bit. Give give them a couple years. I mean, Booker isn't 21 yet, um, and like they're he's getting better in different areas. I want to. I can't wait to see what his development is this time. Last year, people were like, oh, he shot so good his rookie year. Then it's like, okay, well now he can play make and he has some things. Uh, this year has to be defense. He has some leadership that's really good. Um, he needs to be better than Bledsoe though for that leadership to really make anything. It's of it, and it's not there yet. Um, and so I, I kind of agree with the Bledsoe thing. I mean, I'm okay. I mean, I'm okay either way right now on the Bledsoe. Make a trade for him or don't. Um, they don't have like that much else. I mean, I can't wait for Josh Jackson to see. I was watching him in summer league, and it's re- he's really going to help them in terms of a lot of the things, playmaking, uh, transition, and defense, and rebounding. It's going to be it's going to be good to see. Sorry, you cut out there. Uh, oh, who are you, who are, I heard say it again. Um, just the. Uh, Josh Jackson is going to be really good yeah. for them in terms of rebounding, transition, uh, defense, and transition offense, transition defense, but, uh, defense in general, rebounding and really playmaking with, um, another playmaker. I mean, having three of them is not, I mean, he's not, he's not on the level of, of Bledsoe, but it, he's not bad at it. And it'll be really helpful. I don't know. And I don't say that in terms of like, boy, I don't know. It could be bad. I just don't know. I, I really do not know uh, what to expect from Josh Jackson this season because, you know, guys of his mold, you know, talk about defense, nobody's a good defender when they're when they're rookies. Nobody. No one is a good defender. Marcus Smart wasn't. Avery Bradley wasn't. Like Avery, Avery Bradley. Well, okay, Avery Bradley was pretty good. Yeah. But like most guys – most guys are not good defenders when they're rookies. You have to learn so much about how the game is played and, and the expect and scouting reports and everything else and how to pace yourself. There's just a lot that goes into it. But he does have the physical tools to do it. He's so versatile, and there's so many ways you can use him. That's what's kind of interesting. But then I get back to, are the Suns going to figure that out? Are they going to know how to use him effectively? What's going to be his role? These are all really interesting questions because, like, on draft night, it's just about talent and upside and, and physical stuff, and he's got that whole package. 
I have been thinking that. I'm like, look, there's a reason this kid went so high as he did. There's a reason that he went so high, and it's because, you know, going into the draft, there was a lot. Every scout that I talked to in the two weeks prior to the draft said, do not be surprised if Josh Jackson winds up in the conversation for number one. Like, do not be surprised because he has – scouts loved Josh Jackson. They liked Josh Jackson more than Fultz, more than Tatum, uh, more than Ball. They liked Josh Jackson because Jackson, Jackson was solid in so many areas, and he had a feel for the game that was intuitive that they felt like they could take that and mold it quickly. Uh, his upside wasn't as high because he didn't know what he was capable of. But if he melds all that together, he's going to be great. But I, I do wonder if it's going to be like, oh, like he's just kind of a guy. But it's like, oh, yeah, he's got some moments, and he has some moments the first year. And it's like, oh, he's like a solid player in the second year. And then the third year, you're like, oh, oh, crap. Like he 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 added like three new moves, and now he's destroying worlds. And he's, the game slowed down for him. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of potential there. I also like him very much as a, as a small ball component at three and four. I think that he's going to be – I think that he's got a lot of potential as a small ball for long term, and I want to see whether or not he gets used in that capacity. Yeah, like in the future, in two or three years, I think Booker can do three sometimes, and if then Jackson can do four, you slot some shooter or somebody at two, and you're, you're interesting, especially if Bender can be five. What do you think about the Chris, Bender, and then Alex Lenny who somehow hasn't been signed yet? Um, I'm big on Bender. I'm I'm big on Bender. I'm actually big on Marquise Chris. I don't. I'm really? really confused about. I'm really confused about the conversation about him. I'm just baffled by it. Um, and I, I get that Suns fans listening to this are going to be like, he was bad. And I was like, but they were all bad. It was the Suns. Of course, he was bad. Well, people all are high on him. Are people are high on him too. Uh, I'm really high on him. I think that what I, I liked what he showed. I think that he showed. He showed a nose for the ball, and that's what I want out of my big man. Is like he's just got a nose for the ball, and he's got some touch. If he continues to evolve, I really like his upside. I love Dragon Bender since I saw him at the um, at the uh, basketball without borders event at, in New York. I, I thought that he was really impressive there, and was like that was the point where I was like, I'm on board. Like I'm on board <laughs> with Dragon Bender. Uh, I like all those guys. I think Alex Len is okay. Uh, my impulse is to say like Alex Len is garbage, but that's like not fair because he's an NBA player and every NBA player has worked really hard to get there. I think Alex Len has not shown enough for him to be a rotation player in the league right now and probably needs uh, a stint somewhere else to kind of for him to pr- Alex Len has to prove he's an NBA player to me. Yeah, that's I think probably- I agree. I've been watching him and it's like he needs to get the sh- like He's not physical enough. He has, he showed some explosiveness last year that I was impressed by that he wasn't there the last couple of years. I've watched every, pretty much every game that he's played, it seems like, um, for his whole career. And it's, it's, he has showed some explosiveness, but he has to get that jumper, uh, to not fade away when he does it. When he doesn't fade away, he makes it most of the time. But when he fades away or when he's not on balance and he's not ready for it, he'll miss it. And he need because he's not physical and it's not like necessarily that fast or that good of a rim protector. He needs to be able to shoot, and he just can't consistently make that mid ranger enough to do exactly what you said to be a rotation player. And it's weird because they got Tyson, they got Williams. Like Tyson's going to be too old. Williams is not big and tall enough or can't shoot enough to start. I mean, he's going to be a good backup, and so is Ulis. In terms of, they're both of them are going to be really good backups, and they're never going to start unless they have to, like spot starts. And then Len's not good enough to do either of them right now. So they're in this weird position where they have have to play somebody, and none of them are going to be good enough. 
Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of concerns I think with that team about about everything that's going to have to go right for them to be good. They just like a lot has to go right for them to be uh, a decent team this season. Yeah. So to move on to the one something that I think you've noted on Twitter a couple times, and I wanted to to inter- go into it. Um, we talk about what a successful team is, a successful season. Um, well, we'll start with the Suns, and then we'll, I have a couple other teams I want to I want to touch on, and we can go, that we can do with all the teams. We're not going to. Um, like what constitutes a successful season in terms of the Suns? I went through today, and I think they'll hit. It's under thirty wins. I think it's twenty-eight to thirty, depending on if unless they tank at the end and they try to rest people. But they could lose less, and they could lose. I mean, they could win less or could win a couple more. But it's not really about that. What do you think is a successful season for the team, and maybe for a couple of the key players? Thirty-three wins. Um, Booker looks like Booker's more efficient and looks like he started to grasp. Uh, some of the concepts of, of what kind of player he needs to be, managing both when to take over games and when to, you know, how to, and how to value possessions the way that he needs to. Jackson competes for rookie of the year and finishes in the top three. Um, Chris takes a step forward and establishes himself a little bit more and, and silences some of the critics about him. Uh, Bledsoe is traded for a, a combination of prospects and picks. Um, and that is it. That's all they need. That's if, if they if they get all that, they had a great season. So, are you? It sounds like you're on that. The whole you've heard of the the timeline thing that's happening, and it's like. And my thing that I go to is like nowhere in the CBA does it say that all your star players have to be within three years of each other. Otherwise, you're not allowed to win. Um, so it's like, like he he's older than them, and maybe maybe he should be traded. But I'm like, not just because he's not in the timeline as them. I mean, I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is the best example, but the Spurs in 14, Kawhi was not in his prime and neither were the big three and they won. And it's like, it doesn't gel. Like, it's not like that's not necessarily the way to build a team by making sure your core is really close together age wise. I mean, Bledsoe could help them out for a long time and then, then you can tr- trade them later. I just don't think it's like necessary to trade him. What do you think? A couple things. Uh, I think you engender goodwill by trading him. I think you show that you're willing to do right by a clutch sports client by dealing him and getting him in, a, in the right position, not just because, I mean, you're not going to get LeBron, but clutch represents a lot of good players right, right now. I think that the return, I think the return, <laughs> I think the return that they can get uh, for Bledsoe, I think more good players helps them more than one great player. And I think that, that Bledsoe is capable of being really great, but I don't think he's capable of being really great with Phoenix. I think, too, is you need to recognize when it's time, and Phoenix has not done that, and that is bothersome. And you say, like, well, you shouldn't just trade him just to trade him. No, but you do need to have a sense of how change affects teams, and change can be great Change can really instill um, new chemistry and uh, new dynamics, and one new guy can enter it. You know that Bledsoe with this team doesn't work. You've seen it. We're not expecting them to win. Like They have Eric Bledsoe, who is a phenomenal player that no one really talks about, and yet we do not take them seriously because he does not work with this team for a variety of reasons. The other thing is you're right. Is that talent or is that – like there's enough talent around him to know if it works with the Phoenix. Is that true or but, not? is that but, too far? 
there's some talent. But here's the biggest thing is he talked about, like, well, you don't need them all to be together. No. But look, in 2014, Kawhi was not the best player on that team. Kawhi was a role player. And what you're talking about now is you're talking about Bledsoe, a veteran point guard, having to play with a bunch of kids that aren't old enough to rent a car. And that's frustrating for vets. And it also wastes – you're also wasting – a little bit because what's happened the last couple of years? What what do they inevitably do with Bledsoe? You got you got to trade him before his no. Contract but, but, but what what do they what have they done the last couple of years? Oh, they kind of just they used him. <laughs> they shut him down. Oh, oh, that's what you're saying. Okay, yeah, for sure, they shut him down eventually. Like, you're you're paying all this money for Eric Bledsoe to only play 50 games a year. Why would you do that? Like, go get yourself Brandon a young Knight. point. Probably yeah, like Brandon Knight to do worse. Go, right. Well, I mean, if you could deal Brandon Knight, you deal Brandon Knight, and I will forever back that move. I think it was a great move at the time. I thought Brandon Knight was excellent in Milwaukee. I do not understand what I, I will say this. I do not understand what has happened to him. Like that's one of these things that makes me really worried about the Suns. Is that like everyone's like, well, Brandon Knight's just terrible, and I'm like, no, no. Like he was pretty decent before he went to Milwaukee and was damn good, and then he went to Phoenix and fell into a pit of despair. Like. That's a concern for me, that good players are going to Phoenix and getting worse. Although, That's a concern for me. Although I will say, watching the players, he was like the only one I had such frustration with on the on the team for the last the whole time he's been there. He was like the only one I had such huge frustration with with his decision-making. Um, I mean, that's obviously from someone who just watches a lot of these games and obviously other games around the league, but he was the one that was very frustrating. Yeah, no, he's played badly, but I'm also just like, I don't think it's not his. I don't think it's not his. And he's injured now, so it doesn't matter. But like, I don't think it's not his fault, but I do think that some teams are able to take guys and put them in the best best position to succeed, and Phoenix is taking guys and made them terrible. And like, whether that's on like that's partially on them for playing badly, but it's not. If if you keep adding guys and nobody is transcending. That says something about you, about development, the team. Development needs to get better so, for sure. I take your point for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's, totally. that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's move off the of Suns for a little bit, and I want to see in terms of this, what constitutes a successful season. I think Memphis is an interesting case study with this because they're not necessarily a contender. They're not Houston. They're not Golden State. They're not the Spurs, but they also are a solid playoff team. And it's like, what is what is a successful season for them? Uh, for Memphis, it's 47 wins, a five seed, and a first round upset or seven game series versus whoever's in the four spot. That's like um, that's like realistically their ceiling is that's what they're capable of. I'm higher on Memphis than other people are, and I get called like I'm just being a homer in that regard, which is funny because I've never called Memphis home, um, but I've 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 been a fan of them in the past. Like now I'm, I'm kind of like beyond that, but like, look, Memphis is Mike Conley and Marcus Gasol. They have two all-star caliber players. Those guys are worthy of all-star spots every season. Mike, Mike Conley's Conley a top flight defender. It. Yeah. Never get it. Mike Conley's one of, is a top flight defender. One of the most efficient scorers in the NBA. He is point blank. One of the most efficient scorers in the NBA and he does not do so it on good on the perimeter. He got so good. Yeah. He's crazy good. Bar that's Gasol. Cause he and Gasol work so well in the DHO. Um, 
they still have a lot of talent. Uh, I think Jamichael Green, I think, will probably get solid next day or so. They're going to get him back. They've still got guys that can contribute. And David Fisdale coached up a lot of those random players. People don't really get – like Wayne Zeldin was pretty good last year. Um, they have really good players on this roster that are underrated, which is kind of the model, the model they've always been in. And I still expect them to be very good. If it falls apart, it falls apart. But for me, right now, I still look at them and think um, they're capable of getting the five seed in the West. What about Chandler Parsons? <laughs> You can't expect anything from him. Like until 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 Parsons shows that he can play, he's a non-entity. Like he's just not a guy. Now, if he's if he's healthy, if if they if if they come into camp and everybody's like Chandler's playing, like Chandler's playing five on five, he's going full speed, he's working. Or if he comes back in, in December and it's like no no, like he's he's been playing five on five for a while, he's fully ready to go, and he comes in and he shoots forty two percent from three. Whole other ball game. Oh yeah. Whole different deal with the Grizzlies. They are at a different level if Chandler Parsons is healthy. But until that happens, you got to count him as a non-entity. I, I see that. Now the only other one I was thinking about was Chicago. Like the only scenario I can see for a successful season is, hey, Markinen actually can play, and ooh, Levine might be better than we thought. But that's all I can think of. <laughs> yeah, it's basically like, oh, wow, Chris Dunn could, could realistically win Rookie or uh, Defensive Player of the Year in the future. Um, wow, Lori Markkinen is like, like Lori Markkinen is the kind of guy that you want, that they can, can really play. And yeah, like, man, Zach Levine came back from the injury and he is putting up 40. But realistically, their best case scenario is that they, they win 15 games and get the number one pick. That's their, that is the, that is the best case scenario for the Chicago Bulls. Is they like, how many do you think they, they can win, like, in the max high end? How many games do you think they can win? <sighs> I feel like they have less good players in the Phoenix and I'm not trying to be a homer there, but man. No, you're right. They have less good players. Uh, I would say that they can win. Like I, I did a kind of piece on this last week. I think like 24 wins is like the max I could, I could see them winning. 24, 25. Like here's the thing: if they have a, a random month where it's like the Bulls have won six in a row, yeah, like, then it's holy crap! Like the Bulls went eight and two in January out of nowhere. <laughs> that is realistically that could get you in the playoffs in the East. Schedule That's wins. how bad. The East is going to be, yeah. If you just win your schedule games, and if you go 500 at home, that'll get you in. That will realistically get you into the playoffs in the East. If they get to 30 wins, they're in the playoff conversation. But I don't think they will. I think they'll be low 20s, maybe in the teens. Like, what, what's another team that you think is interesting this year? Uh, Portland, Pelicans, somebody else that's that needs to something to go right for them. I mean, all the teams in the Western bubble. Uh, in the Western bubble, you've got Minnesota, or not Minnesota, Minnesota is firmly in. You've got New Orleans, Denver, Portland, the Clippers, and the Jazz. And the Kings, right? Uh, You're a Kings no, guy, the right? Kings, they're, they're like below that. I think the Kings are going to be good. No, I think the Kings are going to be decent. Like, they're going to be like 35 wins. They're a fun, they're a fun watch on the late games. They showed some stuff, but like, they get they they have one stretch where they lose like twelve in a row and that puts them out of it. Like um, they're in between the Lakers, Suns, whoever at the bottom, and then they're but they're yes. but they're below the uh, anybody who re- has a realistic shot at the playoff. Yeah, they're the, they're the mid range um, by themselves. <laughs> so what about I Denver? Denver needs a lot to go right, and they got a lot of concerns. Um, they lost their best offensive coordinator, Chris Finch, to the Pelicans. 
They lost uh, Danilo Gallinari. They added Paul Millsap. is going to make them a lot better in a lot of ways. But look, Millsap's 32, and if he misses any time, they are boned. They have a, a tough schedule to start for like the fifth year in a row, and they have a tough closing schedule, and they have a, a long road trip. Like, there's a lot of schedule problems with Denver, and if things go badly, it unravels very quickly for that team. What do you that think team about, will fall apart very quickly. What about Jokic and Millsap playing together? What do you think about that offensive and defensive? They should be awesome. They, man, they should be killer. They should be just absolutely monstrous. Um Millsap will allow them to hide Jokic a little bit more. We'll see what Jokic brings in the camp defensively. I'm, I have low expectations, but we'll see. But even then, you don't like his offense is so good. It, like it, it honestly, it's like Harden. It doesn't really matter. Like you're going to outscore your opponent per 100 possessions with Jokic on the floor, no matter what. Um, he's so efficient. He's so good. I just think that there's there's like they're going to be really good together because they know they just know how to play. When you have two guys with basketball IQ like that, like they can kill. I think those guys will be really great together, especially with Jamal Murray and Gary Harris cutting off ball for them. They'll be excellent. I think Jamal Murray is going to be good this year. I think he's one of. The, I mean, that actually goes to the next thing. Uh, breakout players. I think Jamal Murray might be very good. I hope Rodney Hood can get back on back on track. Who are some breakout players for you? Rodney Hood's one. I think Rodney Hood's going to have a big season. Jamal Murray, I think, is going to have a monster season if he's healthy. Um, I think uh, Malcolm Delaney in Atlanta is going to have a big season. I think Brandon Ingram is going to have a breakout season. I think, yeah, he's going to have a really big season. Uh, I think Malcolm Brogdon is going to continue to be awesome after the rookie of the year. Uh, I think... I think Nicholas Batum has a bounce-back season. Uh, I think Aaron Gordon is going to surprise a lot of folks. I think the Magic are going to surprise some folks. Not playoff level, but I think that they're going to I, I think that they're going to show more than people expect out of them. I think that they've got some potential there. They've got actual NBA talent. Um, do you think the how bad do you think the Hawks are going to be? <laughs> Man, I don't know. Um, because I was really down on them because I just keep thinking Dennis Schroeder is their best player. Oh they're bumped. Gosh. Oh my god. And like and you look at their front court and their front court's like Ilya Sova, um Oh my gosh. Dwayne so Dwayne Deadman. Oh my and, gosh. This was too bad. But but here's the thing is they have a lot of really good wings. Like they have they have an absurd number of really good wings. Like all of their young dudes are good. Tarion Prince. Yeah, he's good. DeAndre Bembry. Uh and Malcolm Delaney, those dudes are all good. Baysmore is good. He is. Schroeder is good-ish. I just don't like him as the best player on a team. Yeah, exactly. Um, I actually really like. Uh, I think that that they have they have got a little bit of potential, and I think that they're going to be good defensively. And here's the thing: much like we were talking about, like the Eastern Conference, how bad it is with Budenholzer coaching them. They're going to be like they've been a top five defense. I think five out of the last, or like every year but one under under uh, Budenholzer. He's a good coach. I wrote about it a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, so if they're just if they're top five defense, they can win thirty two games and they can be in within range of a playoff spot. Now I could also see it being like a flaming disaster and they could win like twenty, but somewhere between that twenty and and thirty two is probably where they land. Do you think that Tari and Prince and uh, Carol are actual uh, clones of each other? <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. Um, what do you think the last one, I guess, we'll do is what do you think this Lakers team, like, 
Suns Lakers or this whole thing, but like I'm getting different opinions on Ball, but I don't think they have like a lot there. I mean, I'm obviously uh, underrating uh, Brook Lopez a little bit. I think he's really good. People under people don't see that because of his. He was kind of just like the only player, like the only actual NBA player in Brooklyn for so many years. Um, what do you think of this team? They're bad. The, this team is is bad. It's a bad, 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 bad team. And I don't understand why everyone is talking like this team is is exciting and like, well, look out for the Lakers. Like, I looked at their, I posted their their training camp roster tonight. It's Lonzo Ball, who's probably going to be a horrific finisher. Like, realistically, he could shoot okay from deep and still be a monstrously bad finisher who gets his three-pointer blocked a lot. He's going to get blocked a lot. He's going to get blocked so much. Yeah. Um, you know, like Vander Blue, Bogut, Corey Brewer, Thomas Bryant, who I like a lot, but he's a rookie, KCP, who shot worse from three-point range than Jamichael Green last year. Oh, my gosh. Oh Alex, <laughs> Alex Caruso, who I like. But again, it's like I like him as like a eighth man. Uh, Jordan Clarkson had he's a good. bad year last year, still pretty good. I think he's still pretty good. Um, Luol Deng, who looked absolutely just done the last couple of years. I hope he has a bounce back season because that guy's awesome. awesome. Uh, I'm actually, I actually really like Tyler Ennis. I've liked a lot. I hate the the those kind of of I don't I hate guys from Syracuse, but <laughs> he's actually shown some stuff lately. Um, Ingram, who I said is going to have, I think Ingram will have a really good season. I've heard great things out of Julius Randle from both the Lakers coaching staff and his trainers. Yeah. Like Randle, I think could have could have a really good season. Uh, Lopez is, is underrated. I still do worry about the foot, even though he's gone two years without trouble. I just I'm always like, he's so big. Oh, don't just don't don't get hurt because he's coming up on thirty next next spring. He like, is wow. Be okay. Uh, Briante Weber and and I like Zubak, but again, like those guys are super young. This is a really young, re- really raw team that's low on established talent, and that's a big concern. They're going to be they, even if even if they're fun to watch, I think they will be. I think they'll be really fun. They're just going to be bad. They will be bad. Yeah, I'm thinking the Suns will unless they trade or bench Bledsoe. I don't see how the Suns don't outperform the Lakers, but. It's like I don't I don't know. It's like they just have better players, but it's like, but they, they, neither one of them are going to be good. They're going to be real, both really bad teams, right? Who will lose games to teams they should beat if there is such a thing, and will upset a team that they should lose to for no reason, and then they'll go lose ten straight. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's exactly what they could look like. Um, any other uh, interesting thoughts about this season as we are go- coming up to it uh, before we get off here? It's gonna. It, this could maybe be the best offensive season in history, which is amazing because I think last year was probably the best off- offensive season in history. Um, as a comparison, uh, in 2016, in 15-16, there were 67 performances of 40 or more points. Last season, there were 107. Um, we are looking at an absolutely unprecedented era of offensive production. And think about this. Last year, they tweaked the schedule a little bit, and that's part of what we saw. This year, they gave the players even more rest, fewer back-to-backs. They have all of this new technology from Nike. Like The players are better set up for the season than they have ever been, and we are going to see some absolutely insane offensive performances, I think. I mean, they have about, a, just to let the, re- the listeners know, they have about a week and a half extra. I feel like there's, there's a couple less preseason games, and what is it, like seven back-to-backs the, uh, the whole year or something like yeah. that? Yeah. It's way down, yeah. It's just like, I mean, it used to be like 26. 
It used to yeah, be it used to be insane, and now I think it's like 13 or something. It's really low, and no more 4 and 5s. Like, the removal of 4 and 5s is a big deal. That's a, and, and also, they also, last year, they had a, the, one of the things, when they adjusted the schedule, they had this problem where the teams were just like, they would go on these road trips that would last almost the entire month. They would be home once, and I think the Rockets were home for two games in all of January. It was Some absurd. Do that. They do would do one seven-game series that would last, like, forever. You're just like, and they're bad enough that they will not win any of these games. It's great. <laughs> yeah. They've fixed a lot of that now, and that's part of what's what's improved, I think, is and that, that they've, it, they've also fixed that, too. Helps the travel. I mean, the travel is going to be not as bad because of that. And they'll just be able to be more refreshed and ready, ready to play. And I think that'll also help the whole um, resting your stars and marquee games thing. I think. Well, I hope that I hope that's not a big storyline this year because that's just kind of frustrating that that's a thing. Yeah, I 100. percent Oh well, um, I would give you some time to uh, plug whatever you're working on. Though probably everybody listening to me knows who you are and what you're doing. So uh, why don't you tell us what you got? Huh, I've got camp battles that you should expect going up this later this week. I just posted – I went to the Nike event on Friday and posted a big article on that this week. Uh, today I wrote about uh, Katie and Kyrie and about kind of their villain personas and, and that kind of stuff. I'm working on a large Thunder feature. Uh, I'm probably going to drop a piece on the Lakers next week, and I'm probably going to have power rankings on Monday. Oh, there you go. Okay, so follow me at Eric underscore Sar. Follow Matt at HP Basketball or uh, – what's your, your CBS one? At Matt Moore CBS. Okay, it's just that. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, so also follow the Solar Insights podcast on uh, Google Play and Stitcher and iTunes. Subscribe, tell your friends. And also, as I always say at the end of my podcast, I have another company called Elite Hoops Development. If you're in Phoenix and you want someone to train, I am Impact Certified and ready to train some players. So uh, have a good night and uh, see you later. Bye. Bye.